Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Good to see each of you here this morning. Glad that you've been able to come and worship with us. I truly hope that you have worshipped. Um, you know, there's this uh, kind of thinking in our culture today that in order to worship, you need to sing the right songs and uh, you need to be in the right attitude and everything just has to be in the right environment uh, for you to be able to do that. And the truth is the scriptures don't tell us that. In fact, the scriptures are pretty clear that it's our choice. It's our decision. And it's coming and doing what exactly what God says. And that is to lift up his name, to sing a new song, to be able to give him praise. And I I just want to remind us as a church, and, and this is uh, this is not a scolding from your pastor, all right? This is a reminder. It doesn't matter what song or what style of song that we worship to. You may have your preferences. I have mine. You may not even know mine. You may think that you know mine, all right? But unless you've had a conversation with me, about that specific, you probably don't know what my style is. And I will just give you a hint. It isn't rap, okay? But I will tell you this. When we gather together, the the attitude of our heart and the body, um, uh, our, our, our makeup of what we present to God, that's what is critical. And there are times that you may say, well, I don't feel like singing. Does it say that you have an option? You you may not feel like singing, but open your mouth. Because there's something spiritual, there's something great that happens, even when we don't feel like it, when we allow God's spirit to work through us, it's amazing. But so often we come in our consumer mindset And we walk in these doors and we say, I'm here, Lord. What's in it for me? I just say part of that is because this morning, of course, it's Sunday morning. And I think the devil works overtime. He's still at work. Coffee pot's going crazy this morning. Like steam's flying out of it and everything. And like Cheryl did an awesome job of getting things going. But it's like. You walk in there and it's like this thing's ready to explode, right? And then I'm back here working at the computer and a few months ago, I told you about the great aspect of that computer and, you know, here we are again. It's not doing what I wanted to do. And so you shut it down and you start it up. And I was reminded because there's a group of us guys that we just pray each Sunday morning before service starts. I was reminded if we didn't have any of that, would you still show up on Sunday morning? If you didn't have coffee or tea or air conditioning, some of you are like, yeah, I could be a little bit warmer, all right? Listen, I keep it cold so you don't fall asleep, all right? Because that's what will happen, all right? But if we didn't have all this, if, if, we didn't, if we didn't have technology and we just had the word of God, would, would you still come? Would you come and would your heart be open and receptive? Would you listen? Man, I'm so blessed. We are so blessed to have all that we have. And they're tools, but that's all they are. 
And so as we come to the word this morning, again, it's not a chastisement, it's a reminder for us, all right, to continue to focus on, on what God desires and what is of most importance. It, it is honoring our Lord in the ways that he has called us to. It's not about bringing a sacrifice. He doesn't care about a sacrifice. He wants our hearts. He wants who we are. And when I stand there and I'm not willing to even open my mouth or, or even stay out in the foyer because I don't even want to come in for the singing, uh, that's a big problem. That's a spiritual condition of our heart. And there are times, and I'll be honest, there are times where I'm hurting or I'm, I'm in pain where it's hard to open my mouth. It's hard to sing the goodness of God, even though I know it to be true. It's difficult. And yet God knows that and he understands that. It's, it's us still coming and being willing to, again, to submit ourselves. It's a glorious and wonderful term. And I'll keep using it as long as I'm alive. And it isn't just for wives to do. It's for all of us to do. To submit to our Lord. To come underneath him. And to love him. Because as Andrew said, he's so worthy of it. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for this opportunity to open up your word in Romans chapter 8. Thank you for your spirit who lives and resides in us. And I pray that we would allow your spirit full access to our heart and to our mind this morning. As we come to your word, may you do your work in us. In doing your work in us, may we hear from you. And then as we hear from you, may we take what we hear and live it. Lord, may we live out the truth of your word in our lives. Lord, we desperately need your help. We can't do that by ourselves. And so we ask for your help. Lord, this morning I want to pray for um, Thelma Bean's family as she went home to be with the Lord um, a week ago. And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, minister to them. And may you provide hope and peace to them. We thank you for Thelma and for her husband, Russ, and for the legacy that continues to live on, Lord, uh, not only through their family, but through this family here at West Hill, Lord, and all that they were, uh, all that they did for your kingdom. We are grateful and thankful for them. Lord, uh, thank you for Jim Marcourt. And Lord, we uh, mourn. We mourn his passing this week, but we know, Lord, to be absent in the body is to be present with you. And we know Jim loved you. He wasn't scared to die. He wasn't fearful to die. Lord, he looked forward to being in your presence. And yet, Lord, his concern was for Wanda, and that's ours today. Lord, for Wanda, that you give her your comfort and your peace. May you minister to her in a very real way and to their boys and to their family, Lord. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would draw uh, their boys in a closer walk with you. And Lord, uh, as they walk with you, may they see your goodness and see that you're worthy to be loved and followed. Lord, may that be true of us. And again, we're thankful for this family you've given us here at West Hill. And may you be glorified through us as we open up your word now. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you uh, heard me pray, uh, Thelma Bean, about the time that I was announcing last week that she was uh, 
really sick and the hospice had been called in. She went home to be with the Lord and and then uh, Pastor Dave and I had the privilege. We went and saw Jim Marcourt uh, on Thursday and uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, he took his last breath here on this earth and, and uh, is home in glory. And uh, he was ready to go. He was excited about going and, uh, and he went quick. The Lord took him quick. Sometimes we don't understand that. Um, and yet God has a purpose and a plan. And part of that is what we're going to look at here this morning. So keep praying for those families. Um, involved there. Romans chapter 8. If you open up your Bibles there, uh, we're going to read uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. We're going to read through verse 30. I won't be covering through verse 30. I'm only going to cover through verse 25 um, because there's just so much meat, guys. I, I'm really wrestling. Last week, I'm like, oh, I'm going to preach shorter, and I still preached long, which is fine. And I appreciate all of you who say, just keep preaching, and that's okay. All right, and I appreciate that, and I want to preach the word, but I'm also sensitive to one another's time, uh, not because I want you to come back, because I want you to be able to grasp hold of what's been, been preached and what's been taught, and to take that chunk and really live it, and live it out, and so I'm going to make it one piece of the pie today, all right? I'm not giving you the full pie. I really don't want to do that. Uh, I want to give you a piece because there's just a lot here, and so... If you're willing and able, would you stand with me and let's read Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 18 through 25, but I'm going to read verses 18 through 30. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Not hope that is seen. Uh, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. May God has blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Paul, as he begins this section, really builds upon uh, what he has just stated in verse 17. And so look in your text there, if you would, as Paul finishes up that section that we covered last week. 
And he says, if children, then heirs, and then not only heirs of God, but fellow heirs, all right, joint heirs. And we talked a little bit about the difference of that last week, which, by the way, I'm glad I have all my notifications off because my children were texting over what they wanted in the midst of my sermon. And Zach said he was killing both of his sisters to have it all. So pray for him and his sister's safety, but it is really funny just to let you a little insight into the pastor's kids and what they do during dad's sermon. Um, they are listening at least, so that's good. Joint heirs, verse 17, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Now that prerequisite, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, Meaning we, we don't have to suffer in order to be saved. Remember, Paul isn't changing the gospel here. He's not making the gospel say, okay, hey, you accept, uh, you have salvation by God's grace. You accept that free gift. And then you have to suffer in order to be glorified. That's not what he's saying. He's going to build upon the suffering, and ultimately, we see at the end of verse 30, um, we are and will be glorified. Those who he predestined, those who he chose, we'll get into predestination next week. That's why I'm not covering it today, all right? But we see this idea of being God's child, and Paul follows that up and says, okay, so you're his child and you're his heir, joint heirs with Jesus, so when, why all this suffering? What is this suffering? Is God punishing us? It's almost like Paul's asking the question without stating it here. Because he, he'll build upon this. Because he, he says, okay, you, this suffering that you do, right? Suffer with him. We suffer because our Savior suffered. And we're going to look at some passages that help us and hopefully encourage our hearts that as we suffer, there's a reason behind that. So looking at verse 18, he builds off of verse 17. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy or not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He starts and he says, listen, I consider, and this is a, a term that says to keep record or credit or to count. He says, I'm counting this. I've kept record. I know this to be true. There's documentation. What's this documentation? What? That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us or to us. This word revealed is to disclose or, or the same word for revelation to reveal and that word revelation, and I was just asked this morning, Pastor, are you going to preach on revelation? Well, I might. i got to get through Romans first, all right? And, and yet, here we are, revelation, it's an uncovering. It's like you have a pot, and you have a lid on it. And when you take that pot off, or the lid off, you can see what's in the pot. That's what revealing is, what revelation is. And Paul is saying here, the glory that is going to be revealed and your text may say to, but it could also be translated in us. To us is appropriate and also in us. The glory that is to be disclosed in you and I as God's children. So when we look at this, we consider this suffering, all right? We have record of it. Paul says, I have record that this is what's true. What's going on now 
whatever suffering that I've encountered, and then if we stop and pause and think about who's writing this, Paul's writing to the believers in Rome, right? They're, they are and will encounter great persecution. But yet Paul is not one who can't write from his own experiences. When you look at some of his other uh, letters that Paul writes, he gives clear examples that he has the authority to talk about suffering. When you're whipped, when you're beaten, when you're thrown in jail, when you've been shipwrecked, which by the way, how many of you have been shipwrecked? We were on a little sailboat one time out on Lake Erie up at Camp Patmos and, uh, and our sail broke. Thankfully, there wasn't a big storm or anything, but you were like, okay, what do we do? I'm just out here floating away. And you're in a little, I mean, this sailboat was like maybe two chairs, three chairs together. Like it wasn't a big one, a little sunfish sailboat. But my brother and I, we were just out there and you're like, okay, we've got to wait for somebody to come and get us. Right? So that's close as I've been to shipwrecked. Being shipwrecked is a whole different other thing, I think, other than that. But you think about Paul and the constant, uh, we read it in the book of Acts, the, the, um, the hardships, the struggles that he continued to face. This was a guy who didn't have his life easy, right? It wasn't just an easy, simple life that Paul was living. He spoke from authority because he had experienced a great deal of suffering. Read the end of 2 Corinthians as he talks about the, the thorn in the flesh that he is dealing with. And he prays multiple times asking God, if this is your will, would you take it away? And yet God chose not to because in that time, God says, when you are weak, then I am strong. And there's this idea that even we today, that if you're suffering, then you're weak or if you're suffering, then maybe you did something wrong. Or even this idea of, if I suffer, then that will help me to be better. Paul, as he's writing, he says, he's not trying to dismiss suffering here. In no way, shape, and form has he dismissed suffering. In fact, I think he's embraced it. I consider that the suffering of this present time aren't worthy are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So while Paul has not minimized suffering, uh, he yet is seeing that it's just a fraction. The suffering of what he's encountered is just a fraction of what the future glory and splendor is coming. And what is that? We're joint heirs with Jesus. Let me encourage us in a couple points here. Number one, I wouldn't go looking for suffering. Now, we don't do this today, but there was a time in the history of mankind where they thought it was profitable to um, beat and strike themselves into submission. I don't think that's really biblical. Yes, Jesus says, if your eye uh, fails you, you pluck it out. All right, uh, I do think that there are times that we need to subject ourselves to discipline 
Um, but we don't beat ourselves hoping that we will obey more. That's not what Paul is saying. We don't go looking for suffering because there's no payment that we pay for future glory. We're not in our suffering. It's not a payment. It's not even a down payment to say, okay, here's the sufferings that are coming. And so I'm going to pay for those future glories with this current suffering. That's not how it goes. The future glory is already paid for. Think about that. Again, to be reminded what is coming to the fact that we can be joint heirs and have a place in heaven and that Jesus is preparing a place for you and for me, each one of us, for, for us to live eternally with him. Catch a glimpse of what heaven is like and we can look in the book of Revelation and we see the streets are made of gold and these gates are huge pearls. And there's all kinds of different uh, uh, emeralds and rubies and precious jewels. And it's like nobody had to mine them. They weren't, you know, something that we had to work hard to get. God has put heaven here and here is the beauty of it. And that is not even all of it. That's just what we see as John's writing and explaining what heaven looks like. The most beautiful part is we get to, A, we get to be with Jesus. We get to see God face to face. The second greatest part is we don't have sin as an issue anymore. So don't we, we don't have to, we're not going to be crying. You're not going to wake up in the middle of the night and have to go to the restroom, nor will you wake up in the morning and, and be aching and feeling bad and be like, oh, I'm getting so old. You're not going to have to go to the dentist. Praise Jesus. We're not going to have any more of those troubles. And the list goes on and on and on. But right now, in this physical flesh, we wrestle and we struggle and we have these sufferings. But don't go look for sufferings. Why? Because what we see in John chapter 15, suffering is going to come to us as followers of Christ. Jesus tells his disciples, and I think it's true for us here today in John chapter 15, verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Let me pause. Does the world hate you? Not because you did something silly or dumb. But does the world hate you because you love Jesus? Is your love for Jesus that strong? Not that you go look out. You're looking out for hate. But in a world that seeks right now to obliterate hate and to love all, they can't do it. Here's the reason why. Because they hate Jesus. It's not that they hate you. They hate Jesus. And that's why they will accept everything else. But when it comes to Christianity, they'll oppose. It's not you. It's not me. Verse 20. Remember that the, world, that the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. We're reminded 
the sufferings that we encounter, they're not new, and yet we don't go running after them, but we look and we say, the reality is we are going to experience suffering. As we experience suffering, the second reminder that I have for you is to know that our suffering is not wasted. No matter what situation or circumstance you walk through, whether it's a physical ailment, maybe you've walked through cancer, maybe you've lost a loved one, maybe you've lost a job or you're struggling in your marriage, no matter what your suffering may be today, it's not wasted. I love what David writes when he writes in Psalm 56, 8, that my tears are in his bottle. That, that God takes your very tears in the moments of the hardest, harshest sufferings and that he would care enough to take our tears and put them in a bottle. It's really an expression to say that he remembers, that God knows, he remembers your suffering and that we can trust him. And so any suffering that we walk through is not wasted. As Paul's writing here, it's not that you as a child of God aren't going to go through difficult times, but when you do go through difficult times, it's not God's punishment on you. Now we're going to look at discipline later down the road here. Discipline and punishment are two different things. Paul's helping them to see once you accept Christ and you're acknowledging him as a child does not mean that your life is going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's all going to be rosy and clear and that you're going to get everything that you want and everything that you desire. No, in fact, you're going to encounter suffering. But he reminds us, look at the suffering that you are encountering currently. It is just a fraction of what's to come of the glory that is going to be real to us. He goes on in verse 19, and he expands this, this idea of suffering, he takes to creation. And he says, creation, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So he's talking about this time uh, the glory that is to be revealed to us. And he says, listen, even creation is wanting and longing for this thing to happen. And I think it's interesting that we look at verse 19 there, how Paul describes this. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that. We know Jesus Christ is returning. But notice what Paul's words are here. I think they're very specific for us. He could have used a number of different phrases, but he didn't. Instead, he says, the revealing of the sons of God. And I think he continues to build upon what, where he's been uh, with us as adoptions. That we, verse 15, we are adopted as sons where we can cry out to God and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. Creation longs to see for us in that fulfillment, that our revelation, the trueness of that relationship come into fruition. The creation, why? Why are they eagerly longing? Well, uh, 
Creation suffers too. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. All right? The creation was ultimately it's subordinate to an emptiness, these words mean. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, there are some who would say, you know, is this Adam or is this God? I believe this section is talking about God. Because I believe in a sovereign God who is in control of all things. All right? He willingly, when he came to Adam and Eve, after they chose and after they sinned against God, God told them the consequences that were about. And part of those consequences were going to be that God was going to uh, bring thorns and thistles and a lot of other things upon the face of the earth, all right, because Adam and Eve sinned. There was a lot more in those consequences. Some people will say it's a curse. It's the consequences of their sin. And so doing that, God brought and subjected creation underneath his authority to this futility, this emptiness. No longer was creation perfect like it was in the Garden of Eden. And yet here we see he did it in hope. God always has a plan, right? And sometimes uh, we're going to look at it here in a minute. Sometimes we're not patient enough to look at it. Uh, sometimes we're just selfish enough to think that we... Uh, we deserve to have it go our way. And yet, God is so loving and kind and gentle and patient with us. Uh, he often just allows us to walk through that kind of thinking until he helps us to realize who he is and his bigness. And so here, God, he says, not only was creation was subjected to futility um, because he subjected it, but he did it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom. And notice what he says here. Freedom of the glory of the children of God. To obtain, to go into this liberty. That word freedom here means to be liberated. To be set free into what? The children of God. Here he is once again. Creation revolves around who? God's children. I'm going to step aside just for a moment. This whole idea of, of the taking care of the earth is a great thing. It's God's creation. Okay? And we should strive as Christians to be good stewards of everything that God's given us. All right? That's why if I see you litter, I'm going to yell at you. All right? Don't litter. Pick up your trash. Take care of the things that God's given you. It is arrogant. That's my best word for it. It is arrogant of mankind to think that we can control what happens on this earth. Don't get sucked into that lie. You call it whatever you want, global warming. Is it going to get warm at the end? Yeah, Revelation tells us that, okay? 
However you get there, that's up to you. But listen, God is in charge of this earth. It is his creation. And he's called you and I to have dominion over it. The whales aren't in charge. The penguins don't dictate to us. We have more important issues. Like saving innocent babies. Like preaching the gospel. So that all would hear the hope of Jesus. Paul is telling us here there is creation and it is groaning. And yet there is this hope. God didn't just subject it to the curse of sin without any hope. No, it's conditioned upon mankind and it's conditioned upon God's salvation to mankind. And when they are revealed, when the sons of God are revealed, that is that point when creation becomes whole again. And that's called the new heaven and the new earth. And one day it will be perfect, just like we will be perfect. But until then, Paul continues and he says, for we know, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. We groan too. I'll get to that in a moment. But the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. When we look at this, uh, um, I won't ask you to go and talk to Nina about this, all right? But she can testify because it's so real, right? Like the pains of childbirth. What is it? I have no idea, nor will I claim to, okay? I don't know the pains of childbirth, but I praise the Lord for women. The pain Paul is saying here, those groanings as we think about this, this pain, again, it's not meaningless, but it has this hope of new life. When a mother goes through the pain and the anguish, the groanings of childbirth, as she's, as she's walking through that, in the midst of that, in the back of her mind, and some of you may be really, really far back because the pain is so hard, but you have this hope of what is to come. It's this life. It's this child that's going to be coming out. And I loved it because Nathan uh, Zion just texted me this last week when, when they were in the hospital, and he's like, man, uh, Romans chapter 8 is really real to us right now as, as, as Kathleen goes through this groaning, this pain of childbirth. It's so real. That's what's happening in creation. Creation's been groaning together. And the pains of childbirth, the pain's not meaningless. It's leading to something. And he says in verse 23, not only in creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. Again, the beauty of who we are, we as God's children exhibit and to experience the first fruits of the spirit. And you can dig in a little bit deeper to what is the first fruits all about? That's always the best. That's the first part of what is to come. We have the first fruits of the spirit in us. And yet here we are, just like creation, we groan 
inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons. Again, I said it last week and I'm saying it again. This is an important term for us as, as God's children. This idea that we would be adopted as sons to have full legal rights as his child. This is not a mistake as Paul is writing here. He's taking us back to what he's already written and he's reminding us. We eagerly wait. Just as he said it earlier, he's saying this term again. We're yearning, we're desiring, we want this to take place. And in our inner depths of our soul, we want that to happen. We groan. Now I groan when I get up from my chair now. So helping out with the cross-country team uh, with Zach and Marissa, sometimes we do these stretches on the ground. Sometimes I choose not to do, go on the ground with them. Other times I'll sit down. But it seems of late, every time I go to get up, in order to get up, I have to groan. I'd have to make a sound. It helps me get up. Have you ever tried that? It, it helps. Paul isn't necessarily talking about that kind of groaning. Yes, it is an example of what's going on, the decaying of our body, the breaking down of our body because of sin's effect on it. But as Paul is writing here, he say, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of what? Not the redemptions of our soul, the redemptions of our body. He's talking about creation and the suffering that we have in this very physical form, and we eagerly await this redeeming of our bodies. Have you ever walked through a hard week, a difficult time where you just are like, I, I don't know why things are so difficult, and then you start processing it, putting pieces together? There are times as a pastor, the weight and the caring for the flock is heavy. And I have to be honest, I, I'm tired of saying see you soon and goodbye to so many people that I love. And Jim going home to be with the Lord is another example of that. Thelma is the same thing. Thelma sat back there about where uh, Steve Fannin is. And she sat there the, the day that I was voted in to be the senior pastor. And I went back and was shaking her hand, greeting her. And she said, Pastor... If you stay around long enough, you'll get to bury all of us. Thank you for that encouraging word, Thalma. Now, I will say it's been a great honor and it's been a great privilege to be with those couples and those families these last 20 some years. But I have this groaning. I get tired of it. My soul yearns as I look in a world that is lost and dark, that's full of sin and corruption. My soul aches. I say, Lord, would you bring a revival? This groaning inwardly can sometimes be really painful. But we have to go back to verse 18 and where Paul is saying, listen, this present suffering, this present groaning as we exhibit the pains of this world, they don't compare to what's to come. 
We groan inwardly as we wait. Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. As we think about this word hope, we've already seen it in verse 20. Because creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because he who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free. And then we come down here, verse 24, now in this hope, we were saved. We are saved so that we can spend eternity with God. Part of that salvation, we're saved from spending eternity in hell and going through that torment. Not only the physical torment, but the, the, the real torment of being separated from God for eternity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. Don't make hell to be this glorious place. No, when we're saved, when we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are saved and we have this blessed hope. Not only do we get to spend eternity in heaven with him, but we get a new body. That's part of the hope. We get to spend eternity in, in heaven with him to experience him and to experience the likeness of Jesus that we have a hard time fathoming. We have a hard time understanding and knowing what that looks like. And yet here it is. For in this hope we were saved. To be adopted as sons. To be joined heirs with Jesus. And then he describes this. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? I've talked about this before. Because it seems like it comes up every time right before the Browns start their season. My little nephew, who lives in England, asked me um, Friday night, why do you like the Browns? I said, Josiah, I don't know. <laughs> this idea of hope is not how we use hope today. The, the idea that we hope that, hope you have a great day. Ho hope that, that, that things go well. Ho hope that the Browns can win a game. This idea of hope is like a wishful thinking. Now when we talk to each other, we should use a different kind of hope. Where we can say hope. I, I hope that you know that God is with you. I hope that you know that I'm praying for you. It's this eager expectation. It's the fact that this is something that is true and you can anticipating it, anticipate it coming true. It's this expecting it, an expectant mother, right? It's this idea as she is with child, we call her expecting, all right? She's expecting what to happen. That there's a baby growing in there. It's not just ice cream and burritos and other things. Like, that's what happens to the father as they come alongside of the mother. It's this expecting that this, is, this child is going to be born. And this new life is going to come. Hope 
this expectation that Paul is talking about, this idea that as we suffer now, there is future glory that is better. We look forward to that because as sons, we being adopted in, we get to enjoy all the fruit, all the blessings of what that means to be God's child. It's not a wishful thinking. It's assurance in expecting it to be come true. Hope that is seen is not hope, is it? If you can see it, it's not hope. Kind of like faith and kind of like what we've been talking about this whole year. We were put here on earth to please God. And there's one simple verse that I continue to go back to in my own life. The writer of Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Faith doesn't see it. Hope doesn't see it. But hope has a glimpse and says, I know this to be true. And Paul writes, if we have hope, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That word for patience here is actually a term better translated perseverance. So as we walk through our sufferings and we know what is to come, Paul says, we hope with what? Perseverance, with patience. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you would, if you would uh, use one of the three qualities to describe you as patient. I don't think it would be the top three on my list. All right? But as we think about this in our lives... And we think about the suffering that we encounter. I want you to ask yourself, are you willing to leave the how to the Lord? We wait with patience. We don't do it with trying to figure out every detail. We wait with perseverance. As James writes, we stay under that trial so that we may become more like our Savior. In closing, I like this uh, little verse in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 9. Hosea writes this, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. There are time and there are circumstances where you may be challenged and I may be challenged to think, is this really good? Is this really right? The ways of the Lord are right. 
So whatever sufferings that you may encounter, as the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 5, Jesus took on flesh and he suffered in the flesh, learning obedience. We say, well, he was God. He, he had to be obedient. He learned what it means to be in the flesh like you and me. And he learned that obedience of suffering. So we have a high priest who goes on our behalf and goes before us. Knowing what it's like to encounter and to walk through suffering. We have a great God. He is worthy to be trusted. Even when we can't see the reasons why. But take heart in this. Keep your hope steadfast upon the Lord. Why? Because this present suffering pales in comparison of the future glory. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have the best of this world and hope for the best of the eternal kingdom. What this world offers to you We've been lied to. <laughs> the present sufferings that we walk through pale in comparison of the true reality of what is to come. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity to live for you, to love you, to know you. We are weak, and yet when we are weak, you are strong. Oftentimes, we try to control situations and circumstances where you want us just to submit, to release, to allow you have, to have full and total control over circumstances that we may know that we can't control when yet we still in our weakness try to forgive us Lord for those forgive us the times where we become distracted and we focused upon um, this world and the things of this world we can become discouraged quickly by not only our sufferings but sufferings of others we can become discouraged when we look at our world and creation even. And we see its groanings. And yet, Lord, you are so good to not just leave us here all alone. You've given us the spirit that resides in us. And that first fruits of the spirit allows us to have a blessed hope. A hope that one day we will be united in a perfect body. In your perfect presence. In a perfect creation. 
in your glory forever. And yet until then, Lord, we groan. Creation groans. And some days it's just hard. And so, Lord, I pray what Paul wrote in the book of Philippians. That we would set our mind upon the things that are true. Or the things that are right. The honorable things. The just things. The pure things. The lovely things. That if it would be commendable in your sight. If it would be excellent in your sight. If there's anything worthy of praise. That we would think upon these truths. And we would not allow the lies of Satan and of this world. To overcome us. Thank you that we can be your children. Help us to embrace that relationship. For all that you desire for us to have. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In closing I want to read to you an old hymn. It's called A Child of a King. Listen to its truths as we think about what Paul has stated here for us in Romans 8. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. His coffers are full, his riches untold. I'm a child of the king. A child of the king. With Jesus my savior. I'm a child of the king. My father's own son. The savior of men. Once wandered the earth. As the poorest of them. But now he is reigning forever on high. And will give me a home in heaven by and by. I'm a child of the king. A child of the king. With Jesus my savior. I'm a child of the king. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, and an alien by birth. But I've been adopted. My name's written down. An heir to the mansion, a robe and a crown. I'm a child of the king. A child of the king. With Jesus, my savior, I'm a child of the king. A tent or a cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still I may sing. All glory to God, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. A child of the king. With Jesus, my savior, I'm a child of the king. Isn't it awesome to be a child of the king? I hope you take it and you embrace it. And whatever sufferings that you may be enduring and walking through, or whatever sufferings may come, may you be reminded, with Jesus as your savior, you're a child of the king. Amen? I'm going to pray for us and for our meal. 
And so that way when you head in, our ladies can, uh, can usher you in. I told our ladies, I said, don't be in a rush. Get all that food. They said, well, we were going to just tell the ladies that they can go back and start preparing when you give the application. Every pastor wants that, you know. You want to hear that. Hey, go prepare the meal while the pastor gives the application of the sermon. I said, well, today's a little bit different. There's not like three points at the end. The truth is, we want to live out God's word. And I wanted everybody to be here. So if dinner is a little bit behind, you can wait, right? You're not going to get upset, right? Right? Okay. Why don't you stand and let's pray together. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get upset if our meal isn't ready yet, but that we would enjoy the fellowship together, that we would enjoy breaking the bread and being together. Lord, centered around your name. There is no other name like the name of Jesus. We owe you our life. And there are times that we go and pick it up and we try to live for ourselves, but you graciously and humbly bring us back to your throne and you help us to realize what does it mean to be your child and when you're the child of a king we shouldn't have any worries we shouldn't have any deep concerns because we know who's in charge lord we can consider our current sufferings pale in comparison of what's to come and so whatever you have in store, Lord, for us this day and the week ahead, may we continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. May you help us to be reminded that we are your child. Bless the food to our body, Lord, that may give us nourishment and strength. Bless our fellowship. May our conversation be sweet to you. And may it be encouraging to one another, building one another up in this family and this body that you've given us. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.